Welcome to Transformation Church RVA. This sermon is a part of our series called Acts to the Ends of the Earth. Over the course of 10 weeks, we'll see how God worked through the apostles and the early church to spread the good news of Jesus coming to save both Jews and Gentiles. Acts shows us how as Christians, we need to be consumed with the love of Christ and seek to transform our community and the entire world by the gospel. Our scripture reading is in Acts chapter 5. If you're using the Pew Bibles, you'll find it on page 981, 981. Brutally honest passage this morning. Argument breaks out in the uh, church in Antioch. No doubt things were said that should never have been said. Words were spoken that shouldn't have been spoken. But isn't it amazing? Even in our controversies, there are opportunities for the gospel to shine through. And that's what we read about this morning. Acts chapter 15, verses 1 through 5. Some men came down from Judea and began to teach the brothers, unless you are circumcised according to the custom prescribed by Moses, you cannot be saved. After Paul and Barnabas had engaged them in serious argument and debate, Paul and Barnabas and some others were appointed to go up to the apostles and elders in Jerusalem about this issue. When they had been sent on their way by the church, they passed through both Phoenicia and Samaria, describing in detail the conversion of the Gentiles, and they brought great joy to all the brothers and sisters. When they arrived at Jerusalem, they were welcomed by the church, the apostles, the elders, and they reported all that God had done with them. But some of the believers who belonged to the party of Pharisees stood up and said, it is necessary to circumcise them and to command them to keep the law of Moses. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thank you, Brother Bill. Um, Right before I jump into the text, I do want to point out that how to share your, how to share the gospel, how to share your faith class will be right behind us in the choir room, no? Fellowship hall, okay, that's different than what I thought. Yeah, they're gonna eat. So there's food and the gospel. So it looks like I might learn how to share the gospel as well today if there's food involved. Um, How many of you have messy families? Anybody, just me? What do I mean by messy? I mean, uh, I mean, it's not leave it to beaver. Uh, It's not, well, even Andy Griffith's, anybody watch Andy Griffith? I watch Andy Griffith on on Netflix. Uh, um, It's some of the only TV you can really watch and have the kids in the room anymore. Um, But uh, family can be messy. And church family is no different. Um, We have those family members in our families that there's always a tension there. Do you know, do you have them? If you don't, you're probably that person. (laughs) If you're like, I don't know who that would be, it's you. You've just revealed that. (laughs) The church family is the same way. Um, especially here at the church as it's birthed in Acts. There are people from all types of backgrounds, uh, particularly when we started out, it was just Jewish. 
It was just Jewish. It was right in Jerusalem. But last week, what we found out is that it pushed out of Jerusalem. Stephen was killed. And I, I wonder, um, Corey, did you have a chance to put in the maps are there? Do y'all have any maps up here for me? Okay, go to the other one. Okay. So this is Israel. So to give you a picture of where we are and what's going on, this is modern day Israel. You see Jerusalem right down here at the bottom, right above Bethlehem. What do you know about Bethlehem? Jesus was born there. Okay, good. Now, Jerusalem is where the church was born. Okay, Jesus died on the cross. He said, I'm going to send the Holy Spirit to empower you. And then you're going to go be my witnesses to the ends of the earth. Well, it started in Jerusalem. And last week, what we saw is it, it goes as far up um, as up there. You see that Syria up in the top right? It goes up to there, 160 miles north. It goes about 60 miles northwest and as far as 40 miles south. And, and so it has spread all through Samaria and Galilee, Phoenicia. These are old terms for what is just the Middle East today. It's, maybe I don't need to say this. It's not a fairy tale. This isn't make-believe. We're not reading fiction. This is, the, this is real. This is real. So anyway. This is where the church was born, and, and, and what we covered last week particularly is that the gospel has no boundaries. It has no borders. So you can see it go geographically everywhere, even into Samaria. Samaria was a place of, of rejected Jews. It was Jews that had married into outside of the Jewish family. So, so it was what they would consider half-breeds or just rejected Jews, a matter of fact, when Jews would go from Jerusalem and travel, they would go out and around Samaria just so they would interact with Samaritan people. That's what they thought of Samaritan. Have you ever intentionally gone a different direction just so people don't see you? Ah, uh, yeah. I saw you at the grocery store do the duck and sweep around. I saw you. I don't want to see the pastor today. I saw you. It's okay. I'm used to it. I don't want to see that person. That's my neighbor. Oh, oh, so it's your neighbor. Maybe it's your neighbor. Oh, I was going to go out this way. Now I'm going to go. I'm going to wait till they get the trash can back behind the house, and I'm going to duck out as quick as I can. Now, some of you are just introverted, introverted, and that's just how you live life. I am not that way. If I see you, I'm, come, I'm gonna hunt you down in the grocery store. You duck behind the bread, I'm gonna swing right around the Debbie cakes and grab you. Oh, I will find you at any grocery store. I'm not a respecter of stores. Now, so they would go around Samaria, but the gospel went into Samaria. We saw it cross geographic lines, cultural lines. Now it's not just for Jewish people, it's for anyone. So there's Jews and Gentiles. You see that in the Bible a lot. All Gentile means is you're not Jewish. You're not Jewish. So 
Jewish people had a hard time picturing, and we'll see that today, people who were not Jewish and who would, who've obeyed the laws and, and were a part of Moses's and Abraham's family, they had a hard time seeing people who were not from their family as a part of their family. But it crossed cultural lines, crossed personal lines. We saw a group of men uh, get, get prayed over and they were praying and fasting together who had nothing in common. In fact, one of them was murdering other ones of them. Yeah. That doesn't make any sense, does it? There are people you don't invite to the cookout. That's what we talked about last week. There are people you don't intentionally have over your house because you don't like them. But the gospel crosses those lines. The gospel brings people together that would never have come together. You think me and Woody Jones would have ever ended up in a room together? Maybe, maybe. If you went with us to Nashville, you'd, we were almost the same person, just one, I'm, I'm short and wide and he's tall and slender. Um, but the gospel bridges all of those things and, and the gospel was even able to overcome Saul's past. If you've come here today or you're watching online and you say, I don't know if the gospel can overcome my past, Saul was a murderer. Have you killed anybody this week? Don't answer that. You may have thought about it. We're gonna talk about that today. What we found last week is that the message and mission of the gospel knows no boundaries. No boundaries. Hey, pay attention. No boundaries. And what we find is that as the gospel crosses all the boundaries, it creates problems within the Christian community because they don't know how to handle that. And we see some conflict today. Um, you can show the next map. Um, at the end of our message, we see Paul um, head out on his first missionary journey. So the base of missions for the church has actually moved from Jerusalem to Antioch. And so you see from Antioch, they sail over to um, Salamis and Paphos, and then they jump up and they run. There's another Antioch up there, um, and then Iconium, and they loop their way back around and they make their way back to Antioch. They, they go and they preach this gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, they preach it to Gentiles abroad. First missionary journey. Hundreds of miles, okay, and when, and when they land back in Antioch, they land us in chapter 15 where we are today, and just to give you a timeline here, uh, when Jesus was born, we went from B.C. to A.D., okay, Anno Domini in the year of our Lord, okay, you know your birth is important when it resets the calendar, Right? 33 years he was on earth, so get to A.D. 33-ish, he goes, he ascends, the church is birthed, 33, 34, 35, at, the, at 15, we are at A.D. 48. It's been about 15 years that the gospel has been going forward. And they're back in Antioch, and what I want to t discuss with you today and declare from his word is that the gospel is sufficient to save. 
It's sufficient. Everybody say sufficient. Look at your neighbor and say sufficient. Let me make sure I don't run over on time. Now, oh, I got it back here. Um, growing up in church, I've seen all kinds of people get saved. All kinds. Drug dealers, they can get saved. We just talked about there's no, no borders. There's no boundaries for the gospel. I've seen drug dealers get saved. It's not like a lot of them, maybe on one hand. Um, but I've seen the gospel reach their hearts. Prostitutes, um, drug addicts, the homeless. I've seen all kinds of people get saved. I've seen a witch get saved. Yeah, talk about a weird service, okay? Um, there, there, it was, it was a little weird. I grew up in a Pentecostal church, okay? So, yeah, there was, there was, it was a wild service. I don't know that they, we were recording back then, but there was a lot of screaming, running around. Boy, it was, a, it was, it was great. It was awesome. I can't wait to see it here, okay? Just, just. But you know what testimony I hear the most in the last 15 years, 20 years? You know, you know what testimony I hear the most? I was raised in church, gone to church my entire life, and I've never heard the gospel. I was taught how to behave. I was taught what to do and not to do. But I was never taught how the good news of Jesus Christ transforms a heart and life. I was never taught that. And so the most common testimony I hear in recent years is people who have sat in this pew, not this pew, any pew, any chair, any church, and they say, I am giving my heart to the Lord for the very first time, and I've been around him my whole life. That's amazing. And that's an okay testimony. That is nothing to be embarrassed about. Anytime you come to the Lord is a good day to come to the Lord. Yeah. And in fact, you can go to hell sitting in a pew just as much as you can go to hell sitting in a bar stool. So that is what, what was taught in, in growing up in a holiness church. And what I mean by holiness, um, uh, there was an, an, a, a focus on being good, being good. Um, and so let me tell you what I'm not going to teach here. What, what I can't teach from scripture is that holiness isn't something that God expects. Be holy for I am holy. It is an expectation. But I was taught if I wasn't holy, I was going to hell. If I wasn't perfect, the minute sin slipped from my lips or entered my mind, that was it. I'm burning. Doesn't matter. So my salvation was contingent upon my behavior modification. And so that was, that's what was taught in church. It wasn't that the gospel transformed me from death to life. 
it was always Jesus plus. Here's, <laughs> this is why we get a lot of testimonies that say, I tried Jesus and it didn't work. Have you ever heard somebody say that? I tried that. No, what you tried was being good. And you can't. If this is news to you today, you can't. It is by the work of the gospel in our hearts that behave, our behavior is going to change, but it doesn't change and then save us. We're saved and then God changes us. And that's what the argument was over right here in Acts 15. Um, let me just tell you this today. We are not after behavior modification here. I'm not asking you to white knuckle your sinfulness and control it until God can come down and swoop you up and save you. No, I'm asking you to surrender your life to him as Lord and he'll take care of the rest. To believe the report. Believe on him and he'll take care of the rest. It's important we get this right. Behavior modification doesn't save us. It doesn't save us. And it's important we get this right because God forbid we get I stand before the throne and there's an entire congregation of people around me that I had influence over and my only message was then to get right. <laughs> do better and maybe the Lord will save you. No, the gospel is sufficient. Brother Bill read one through five and what we see is uh, Paul and Barnabas get back to Antioch, okay, from their hundreds of mile journey. And there's something being taught at church that was not the, the gospel. What was being taught is that in order for you to be saved, you have to become a Jew first. And then you and, and, and abide by Mosaic law, and then you can be saved. Yes, absolutely, believe on Jesus Christ, but you also need to be circumcised and observe moral and, and, um, and ritual mosaic law. Um, um, can, there's a reason there was probably some hesitancy among the Gentiles. Um, there was some hesitancy because... Uh, basically two questions were being asked. One, is faith through grace sufficient? Is that enough to save someone? And if it is, how do we live together? How do we live together with people who are different than us and have, um, they come from different backgrounds? And so let me, let me explain to you very, very quickly um, Moral law, ritualistic law, okay, ritual law. One, if, when we say moral law, think Ten Commandments. Anybody quote the Ten Commandments? Give you Snickers. <laughs> Isn't that what they used to do in Sunday school? Yeah. You, <laughs> Demetrius got the Snickers. Go see her. She's, she offered me one today. When I say ritual law, what I mean is they had purity laws. So you had to wash a certain number of times just to eat dinner. Um, they had ceremonial laws. They had food laws. They had all types of laws. Go to Leviticus, read it. It's weird. It's wild. 
And they did all of these things because they wanted to be pure before a holy God. And so many of the Jews had given their lives to Christ, but they were still living out these Mosaic laws. Nothing wrong with that. Um, Christ didn't come to abolish the law. He came to complete it. So for those who would say, oh, we're not under the Ten Commandments anymore, that's, that's not what we're talking about here. Moral law, ritual law. And so what they weren't just saying, hey, you need to be a moral person. They were saying, you need to be a Jewish person to be saved. And so that's what we get one through five. They're asking these questions, and then we get, read together with me, um, starting in verse six. Um, they said, let's take this argument back to Jerusalem. So they went from Antioch, um, which we see over here on the right, up in Syria, and they travel back down south, and they go to Jerusalem so they can hash this all out. Um, anybody ever had like a, a family meeting where you've got to hash something out? So, so, some of you, how many of you just ignore those meetings and you act like nothing's going on? Uh, okay, that's the rest of you, okay. Read 6 through 11 with me. The apostles and the elders gathered to consider the matter. They're in Jerusalem now. After there had been much debate, Peter stood up and said this. Brothers and sisters, you are aware that in the early days God made a choice among you. That by my mouth the Gentiles would hear the gospel message and believe. Verse 8. And God who knows the heart bore witness to them by giving them the Holy Spirit just as he also did to us. He made no distinction between us and them, cleansing their hearts by faith. Underline it. Verse 10, now then, why are you testing God by putting a yoke on the disciples' necks that neither our ancestors nor we have been able to bear? On the contrary, we believe that we are saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus and in the same way they are. So, everybody scoops back into Jerusalem. <clears throat> They're ready to hash this thing out and the very first argument uh, we have from, comes from Peter. Peter stands up and he says, this is why, why Gentiles don't have to become Jews because Gentiles are already being saved and receiving the Spirit, and they're not Jews. So the very first argument that's made is that God is already doing this. Uh, Peter comes right out and says, he's cleansing their hearts by not eating red meat. No, by faith. This is how we all come to Christ, by faith. And even that faith comes from him. It is by faith that we are coming to him. Their hearts are cleansed. Very important word here because they would have considered cleansing to be a, a very ritualistic thing. They would have said, no, to get cleansed, you got to do this, 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 and this. And he said, no, you just have to believe by faith. And then he goes on to say, um, so God is already doing this by faith. Um, and then his second, Peter's second argument I love, because he says, why would we hold someone else to a standard we can't even hold and have never been able to? 
Macy will often ask for candy. Anybody else? Your kids, grandkids? Oh, no, no, you want to ask me for candy. Okay, got it. Some of you are like, I want candy. You said that Snickers bar and I'm all in. So Macy will ask for candy and there's a lot of times it'll be late at night. It's always right before bed. And I'll say, it's too late. You need to go to bed. You can't have candy before bed. Sometimes. You make me say that sometimes. (laughs) Okay, my wife just called me out because I want to say yes. But we say no. But then at the same time, we will be snacking on candy in our bed. No, you can't have it. Go to bed. You can't have ice cream. I say that because you look at the Old Testament and all you see is the Israelite people. Here's the law. We can't keep it. The law was never meant to be kept. Follow me. If you look at scripture, you look binder to binder, here's what you find the law is good to do. Reveal that you need a savior. The law, ritualistic or moral, it is designed to show you you can't keep the rules. There were so many rules in Leviticus, it was impossible to keep them all. The Israelites themselves couldn't keep the laws. You know, it's it's meant to reveal you can't save you. You need to be saved by someone else, and that's why they were proclaiming a Messiah whom they killed and is now delivering them. The law was never meant to be kept. It was meant to reveal our need. It's unachievable, really. Um, And for those in the room today, let's do a heart check. Can we do a heart check real quick? Um, Have you ever... Okay, let let me ease into this now. Have you ever seen something bad happen to someone... And you said, they deserve that. You don't have to admit it. It's okay. I know you're too righteous for all that. I have. Or, or, let's flip it. Something good happened to someone, and you're like, can't believe that. Can't believe that would happen to them. I used to have a buddy who always won those radio contests where you call in. It's like his phone went right to their line at right, the right time, every time. And he was a complete jerk. <laughs> I had an issue with it. That's called coveting. That's being covetous. Any of you lie? Let's, let's do a heart check. Heart check. Have you ever lied? Are you a liar? Oh, see the hesitancy? Do you see that? Be, because you lie doesn't make you a liar. You're a liar, and so you lie. James 2 and verse 10. You know what it says? James 2.10 says, 
If you have been guilty of breaking one, you're guilty of them all. We're all lawbreakers. We're all rebellious. And that's what the law reveals in us. And then his, Peter's last argument is this. He says, on the contrary, we believe that people are saved through grace, through the grace of the Lord Jesus that was given to us. The same grace that saves us saves them. In 12 through, do you see the picture here? The gospel is sufficient. Um, then James, uh, the brother of Jesus. Can you imagine being the brother of Jesus? Can you imagine that? What an awful existence. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, yeah, my brother just walked on water. And <laughs> so, what are you doing, James? Oh, you know, stuff. <laughs> Have you ever had that sibling that's just so good? And you're like, I am that sibling. My brothers and sisters wish they had done all the things that I. I'm just kidding. Oh. Help me, help me, Jesus. The gospel is sufficient. Um, James steps up. James is actually the chairman of the council in Jerusalem, okay? James, the brother of Jesus, steps up. And I'm just, I make fun. Um, I imagine being the brother of Jesus must have been an awesome thing. And if you read, he, he, he wrote a book, just a few books down, wrote his own book. And we're gonna actually go through the book of James later this year. And he talks about how faith works. But James stands up and he quotes some Old Testament scripture right here in 16 uh, through 18. And he says, God, this was his plan the whole time. Look at this scripture that he read from the prophets. In 16, it says, after these things, I will return and rebuild David's fallen tent. I will rebuild its ruins and set it up again. So the rest of humanity may seek the Lord. Even all the Gentiles who are called by my name, declares the Lord, who makes things known from long ago. James steps up and says, yeah, God's doing it now, but this has always been his plan. It's always been his plan. And then things get weird. Everybody look at your neighbor and say, weird. Okay, look at 19 through 21. This is... So after all these arguments are made, we find ourselves in 19. It says, therefore, in my judgment, we should not cause difficulties for those among the Gentiles who turn to God. But instead, we should write to them to abstain from things polluted by idols from sexual immorality, and from eating anything that has been strangled, and from blood. For since ancient times, Moses has had those who proclaim him in every city, and every Sabbath day he is read aloud in the synagogues. Wait a second. They just finished saying grace is sufficient to save. 
Why would they come right back around and say, hey, you don't have to keep Mosaic law, but you gotta keep these? And frankly, it's just about all of them, except for circumcision. Is that not weird? Are you ready for the resolution? Why would you just, why would, James, why would you come back with this? And what we see here is a picture of gospel community. Follow me. Um, what he's talking about here is a couple different things. Um, polluted, uh, the polluted by idols, uh, eating anything strangled and from blood, that was all um, uh, purity laws around eating. Uh, so you could, if you were Jewish, you couldn't have your steak medium rare. Nothing with blood coming from it, which is a travesty. It's my opinion, if you eat a steak, well done, you might as well go get a piece of beef jerky and enjoy yourself. <laughs> That's just me. I know some of you are a little squeamish. Now, some of y'all eat that thing blue, and I'm not down with that, okay? But what I'm, what I'm pointing out here is that Jewish people had certain things that weren't wrong. But they, it, was a, it would be a hindrance for them if they were to try. Okay, so it is by grace through faith alone. Well, how am I as a Jew who lives according to all these purity laws, how am I now supposed to do life with someone who does all these things, which aren't wrong or sinful or anything like that, as much as it is a clash of cultural, like this cultural clash. And the reason this is an issue is, and James says it right here, these Mosaic laws are preached in the temple on Sabbath every weekend everywhere. So there is no chance that there's no chance that Gentiles are gonna be able to just keep doing what they're doing and not run into conflict in the family. Family conflict. It's a picture of gospel community because of this. Um, the Gentiles were not under the Mosaic law, but they were now under the law of love. Okay? Uh, let, let, me, let me bring it around with a real world explanation. The closest thing I could pitch to you here is, is, is alcohol. The closest thing I could pitch to you is alcohol. Um, I grew up in a holiness church. My mom is a teetotaler. We have teetotalers in the room. Um, there isn't a biblical case for not drinking, okay? So drinking is not sinful, uh, you can't make a biblical case with any sort of exegetical excellence um, that drinking is sinful. However, can I drink and should I drink are different questions. So you could, I could go out and have a drink with a buddy and talk about the things and it leads our hearts to just worshiping the Lord together and enjoying a drink. But our same friend that may join us could turn into two, three, five drinks and the next thing you know, he has 
slipped back into alcoholism. And this, look, this is sensitive. This is a sensitive subject, and some of y'all are like, I'm never coming back to this church. Or, Here's what I'm telling you. There's no biblical case for not drinking alcohol, but there is a huge biblical case for me re- laying down my cans. And, and there's a real biblical case for responsibility. and um, There's more warnings about drinking than there is um, encouragements to. I'll put it that way. I'm not telling you you shouldn't drink. What I am telling you is, is that in a Christian community, I cannot place my cans above my brother and sister who it's gonna cause offense to. I cannot, if I am a Gentile in this young church, I cannot say it's my right to eat red meat and cause offense to my Jewish brothers and sisters. That is what is being said. That's being, if we want to do life together, it is absolutely saying it may not be right for this person or this person, but within community, I am going to lay down my rights for my brother, for the sake of my brother and sister in a group setting. Now, what you do on your own is between you and the Lord. But what I will tell you in this place is that we can never be a true gospel community if all we want to do is wave the flag of it's my right to do it and toss my brother to the side, toss my sister to the side. It's a call to abstain. Notice the word abstain here. It's, 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 it's an intentional pulling back, even though I can even though it may be okay. It's an intentional pulling back. So when you come over to my house for dinner, we're gonna have water or sweet tea or Pepsi. I do like Pepsi. I do. I like Pepsi over Coke, in fact. Okay, all right, let's do it. Pepsi fans, raise your hand. Okay, Coke. Whoa, that's half and half. Who says soda's gonna kill you? Yeah. Oh, see, there it is. And look, if you've had kidney stones, you stay away from it. Yeah. It's a call to abstain. And look, I, look, I know this, this conversation is probably making some of you super uncomfortable this morning. But I think when we zoom out from this text, I cannot leave this text without saying um, gospel community. When the gospel is working in our hearts, it calls us to more than just our freedom, but the freedom of everyone. Um, and in this particular case, they're saying, hey, listen, if, you, if we're gonna do life together, Gentiles, there's some things you need to abstain from community-wise so that you can do life with your Jewish brothers and sisters. Some of you, some of us in this room have to make that, those decisions. And we have to wave the flag of the gospel first, okay? Got to wave the flag of the gospel first. Look at the, um, the letter. So they come to this conclusion and then they write a letter and they're gonna send this letter back to Antioch where it, where it came from. And basically, this is what the letter said and I'm gonna sum it up. We are saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ, not by any conformity to the law 
And such obedience comes as a result of true faith after the issue of salvation has already been settled. This is the letter they send back. You're saved by grace through faith, period. Salvation is settled at the cross in Jesus Christ. It's settled. Salvation is settled. And as a result of true faith, your life should look different increasingly as time goes on. I, it is, I mourn sometimes the people that I have baptized over the years that just did it because their family said they should. They gave all the right answers and they haven't stepped foot in the church since because they think it's some ticket. A life that has been truly saved is a life that is continually transformed. Look at, amen, brother. Look at him over here making all this noise. We'll talk about this later. Okay, 30 through 35, and then I'm gonna close. 30 through 35. So they send this letter back. Um, um, so they were sent off, went down to Antioch, and after gathering the assembly, they delivered the letter. 31, when they read it, they rejoiced because of its encouragement. I'm gonna stop there for a second. They rejoiced. At this point, Gentiles in Antioch were being told, get circumcised, live under the law, and then you can, if you keep up with all these laws, you'll be saved with Jesus. They came back with this letter and said, no, you're saved. You are absolutely saved. And so I can just see the relief, the rejoicing. It's because they have said, I, I'm actually saved. I'm actually saved because I don't know if I could have kept up with all those rules. This, this tells me something very, very important. Um, you never get too old or too mature or immature. You always need to re-gospel your heart. They came back, they preached the same gospel that they have always been preaching, and it created rejoicement and encouragement in their hearts. It creates rejoicing and encouraging in this heart. Every single Sunday, I get to stand up here and preach this. Every single Sunday, it never gets old. It never gets old. And this is why if I stood up here every Sunday and preached, be good, you would become weary and quit. It is the gospel that changes things, and the gospel alone. Both Judas and Silas were also prophets themselves, encouraged the brothers and sisters, strengthened them with the long message, which you guys should be used to. After spending some time there, they were sent back in peace by the brothers and sisters who had sent them, but Paul and Barnabas, um, along with many others, remained in Antioch, teaching and proclaiming the word of the Lord. Uh, we see a little squabble here in 36 through 41. Um, Paul and Barnabas have been doing these missionary journeys together. Well, they're about to split ways. Barnabas is like, let's bring John Mark, who happened to be Barnabas's cousin. Um, little backstory. Something happened. We don't know. But in the first missionary journey, John Mark bailed out. 
Um, and it didn't seem like it was for righteous reasons. You can see that in Acts 12. Um, and so Paul's like, John Mark isn't coming this time. Barnabas is like, yeah, he's coming this time. But Paul insisted, even though Barnabas, and look, I love Barnabas. I wish I had more Barnabases in my life that are just like, man, I just love you. God's gonna do it, brother. Just an encourager. Paul wasn't having it. He, I, I guess maybe, I, the Bible doesn't tell us, but maybe he didn't trust him. Um, but either way, they split directions. Barnabas took John Mark, and Paul chose Silas. And we're about to hear some really cool stories about Paul and Silas in the coming chapters. Uh, Silas uh, was a Roman citizen, uh, spoke Greek. He was going to be the perfect partner for Paul in this next missionary journey. Um, what, what I want to end with this morning is that, look at 41. He traveled through Syria and Sicilia, strengthening the churches. Um, here, we want, we, we say this often, um, we want you to encounter Christ, be equipped for the ministry, and be engaged in the mission. We say that all the time. And if we don't say it enough, probably need to say it more. Um, we, are, we have to be more than just encountering God on Sunday morning. And what Paul was all about was equipping churches and strengthening churches. What we do each Sunday that we come and proclaim the gospel here is we're strengthening the church. We're encouraging you in your faith. Look, I'm not just talking to the, the whole, I'm talking to you individually. I try and go around the room and make eye contact with some of you. Some of you get really uncomfortable when I do that. Um, you'll go, <laughs> like you're reading your Bible. Each one of us individually play a part in the strengthening of the church. Uh, we hear this in the Bible, quite for this, this picture of um, the church is like a body and each part has its own part to play. Hear me today. You have a part to play in this. Paul's part was evangelizing. Yes, he was evangelizing new Christians. But there's a part of church life that involves strengthening one another. It is a part that is important And we're gonna, we get the chance to do this every weekend. We get to do this every weekend. Strengthen one another. So here's, here's gonna be my encouragement as we leave today. I want you to engage. I want you to engage in some way over the coming weeks. Easter is four weeks away. Did you know at Easter, your friends who are unchurched or who don't believe in God, Easter and Christmas are the number one times each year. The most opportune times that they would say yes to go to church. Specifically in our context. It's not the same across the globe, okay? It's, this is pretty Western. I think it's so interesting today 
that we have been walk, we're walking through Acts right up to Easter. Because I can't help but see the Spirit's work in our church and in our hearts to go evangelize. And with Easter four weeks away, look, we just have a few more weeks in this series. We're over halfway through the book of Acts. And what I want you to, to get is one, that we can be empowered witnesses at home, in our neighborhoods, and to the ends of the earth. And you don't, right at the beginning of the book, it just came right out the gate and said, you don't have to be a scholar to do it. In fact, you don't have to be a 40-year Christian veteran to do it. If you gave your heart to the Lord today, tomorrow you can evangelize. That's good news. That's good news. Carl, Carl, you don't understand. I'm still trying to get my life together. God today is calling you to engage in the mission he's called us to. To draw, help him draw through the declaration of his name, all people, unto him. You're a part of that. Whether you're sitting in the pew and you're nine years old or you're 96 years old. I don't think we have anybody quite 96. Close. If you're breathing, God has put breath in your lungs to bring glory to his name and to declare to the ends of the earth the good news that Jesus Christ is enough. That he's sufficient going to create a bunch of hurdles. We're not going to create a bunch of, we're going to let the Holy Spirit work those things out. I'm not going to have you make a checklist this morning of ways you can be better because frankly, it's the Holy Spirit's work that sanctifies us. And so I, I would not depend on you for one second to make yourself better, but he can and he is enough. Look at your neighbor. Say, he's enough. He's enough. He is sufficient today. The gospel's enough. That's good news. Let's pray together. Father, I'm so thankful today for a time we can worship you, declare your goodness in this place that you are sufficient to save. That we can today, no matter what our lives look like, we can lay before you everything we've got, every, every sin, every piece of shame, every judgment, we can lay it all before you today and say, I am not able, but you are. Lord, I surrender my life to you. And I'm going to lean on you for those changes. I don't have to be a certain shape, a certain, from a certain somewhere. Today, I can come to you as I am declare you Lord of my life and believe the message of the gospel. We can believe it today. It's in the matchless name of Jesus we pray. Thanks for streaming this audio from Transformation Church RVA located in Richmond, Virginia. For more information, check out our website at www.transformationrva.com.